I'll be reading Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through Him. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Good to have some visitors with us. We are glad that you're here with us. Our theme passage for this month is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And we'll be looking this morning about putting on compassion and what the Scriptures say in regards to this. As this is to be a quality in the nature of God's chosen people. The passage that we had read from by Steve and then by Brother Gene, very fitting, both of our elders, to have that passage this morning. And then to say to us, put on these things for a very specific purpose as God's chosen people holy and beloved. And that will be our emphasis this morning. Well, I want to make some observations about the things that we see around in this world that help us bring us to this text and see its relevance for us now. Do you find that most people only focus on what is right in front of them? Doesn't it sound like that's the way it is? When I look at people in the world today, it's uh, what is right in front of them. And in fact, you hear a lot of football teams say, we're only focused on the next game. You see individuals that are only focused on their work or their next vacation or the next thing they're going to buy. I wonder what it's like to, to be so focused on things that are right in front of your face that will not last. They won't last. And they're ultimately pointless. And to spend your life like that. But I think many individuals do that. That's exactly my experience. And what I see is that there's, there's a lack of focus there for many individuals. There's, a, there's a, a lack of focus on God and on Christ, on what really is important. People think about their lives as though I got the next day and I'm not going to be someone who could, who could die tomorrow. They don't think about that. It's beyond them. In fact, the passage we'll be looking at this morning, Colossians chapter 3, the very beginning of that chapter, Paul reminds us of what is important and what we should be focused on. And so when Paul says, put on these things as God's chosen or holy and beloved people and a compassionate heart and humility and meekness and those qualities that Christians are to have, he's reminding them because people have a tendency to move away from them, to, to think about things that really don't matter. So what happens when we focus on earthly things? We're distracted from God. We're th distracted from things that are above. We're concentrating more on what's school going to be like tomorrow, what's work going to be like, uh, what friends I have to fellowship with or talk to or hang out with. And a lot of people's focus is taken away from God. We make things, such little things, into idols. If you like video games or movies, they could become an idol. You could become infatuated with them. If it's your personal life, it becomes your work. 
All you think about are those things. Or maybe it's your family life and the way things are done, and your mind has little to think of what is above and upon God. There's an issue there and something that Paul would encourage us to change. So we look at this morning, we want to look at that, how we would want to change. And how, how do people in the world, how do they usually change their lives? Usually they think, well, I've been focusing more on work and I need to focus more on family. And I think some of that can be ultimately pointless. If my focus on family doesn't include my creator and eternal life and my God, there's, there's an issue there. I wonder how people change. They often say, I need to change my life and change this or that. Why? What's the point? If our focus isn't on God, what is the point? So we're going to take a look at that this morning. The Scriptures tell us to do this. Put on compassion, kindness, and humility. These are, Christian, these are qualities that Christians are to put on. The Greek word there for put on means to clothe. If you're wearing a jacket this morning, you might think about that as you put it on, or any kind of clothing. You put it on. It's something that has been manifest and seen about you. It's something that stands out to others. As Christians, I think we could generally say to people today, be compassionate, be kind, be humble, be meek. And they say, yes, those are great qualities. I think you're right about that. I can get up here and preach to you. This is what we need to do. But Paul says, put it on. Be clothed in it. Christ here is revealing through Paul some fundamental things that needs to change about our nature and to become a holy nature that is from God. And what we're going to look at this morning has to do with a transition from the old self to the new self. Paul reminds Christians of this. He often reminds them, you know, you when you were baptized, you bury the old self and you start a newness of life. And yet what tends to happen with Christians? We go back to the old self. We go back to the old life, at least part of it. And Paul is constantly in a reminder, reminding these Christians, you want to overcome sin, you go back to that ultimate change. You remember when it happened when you were baptized, you repented, you put that person to death, you were immersed in water, you rose up into the newness of life, and you see this in Colossians 3, and you see it in Ephesians 4, and you see it in Philippians 3, and you see it throughout the New Testament. Here's the change. I really want my life to change. It starts with me. One of the things I learned from training and counseling in my graduate school is a lot of people get distracted by what they want from counseling. So they'll come in if there's a marriage counseling and one spouse will say, I want that spouse to change. And the other one's saying, I want that one to change. And the answer to the counselor is each individual's got to change, but your focus needs to be on you. It needs to be on you changing, on you personally making that change. And we see in the Scriptures the responsibilities put on us that we can go back and we can look at the example of Christ and make those changes. So this is how Colossians 3 begins. Before we get to the passage about what we put on the qualities there, how did Paul get there? Look at this, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So let's look at that for a minute. Raised with Christ in the past tense. When are Christians raised with Christ? Go back to Colossians 2 and read 12 and 13. You see it. When you have been buried with Christ and through the working of God and by faith, he rose you back up and gave you into a new life that is set on him. And so when Paul says those who have been raised in Christ, he's saying you that have been baptized, you have been changed, you who have put on the newness of life, Focus on Christ. Reset yourself on Him. 
And listen to what he says. He says, set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. Don't make idols out of worldly things, things that ultimately don't matter. And, and as you look at individuals, believers, who fall away from the church, who leave Christ, you see what they're doing. It comes to a state of mind where they stop thinking about God and stop thinking about Christ, and they put a focus on something else. And then he says this. You've been raised with Christ. Then he says this in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That old person is dead and gone. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Focus on what's going to happen eternally. When you die and on the day of judgment, when you see Christ, that should be a day that we thank God for. I hope when Christ comes, I'll have a part of his glory. I'll have a life like his. I will rise and look like him and appear like him and be transformed like him. And my focus is on him that I put to death who that worldly person now because my hope is in eternal life. When I'm thinking about the worldly things, when I'm distracted, I'm going to live as a dead man. If I want the hope of eternal life, I've got to live as a new person now. That's where Paul begins. So when we were raised with Christ, when were we raised with Christ, and why is it significant in Paul's teaching? We see it throughout the Bible. Here it is, the death, the burial, and resurrection that changes us, that we model and we conform to, that we put away the worldly things. How can anyone understand this change that happens in Christian hearts without understanding this concept of rising with Christ from baptism. You can't. As so many have said, I believe in Jesus, but for some reason I don't change. It's because you don't know the gospel. The gospel has no effect on you. The love that should be associated with what Jesus did for you has not compelled you and controlled you to change. And if we want change in our life, we will do the things that we read right here in Colossians. We'll set our minds on Christ. We'll look to things above and on greater things. And he says this. This is when you're risen up. This is what you do with that old man, an old man of sin. You're going to put this to death. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are the idols. The fascination when someone uh, is more fascinated uh, on lust and lewdness uh, of pornography and their mind is on that thing as a form of idolatry. And I believe all those words right there are descriptions of forms of sexual immorality. And he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. Paul's contrasting what you should put on, what he's going to mention in a minute, and what things you need to put away. What stands out to me that's fascinating about this is that he seems to be emphasizing unity. Here you have a young church that's just started there at Colossae. And you've got false teachings coming in, whether Jewish or Greek, and Paul has been warning against them. And then he says, you need to put to death these earthly things. Here's those earthly things, these sexual things. Anything that can distract you from God that becomes an idol the things in your life that are matters of anger and hatred and resentment and slander and obscene talk and speaking and cursing against others, those things we want to put away. We don't want to even lie to one another. And yet he's saying this to Christians. He's saying to Christians, don't 
do these things as though it's a temptation, as though it happens in the church. Does it? We see these things occur in congregations when there is no real change. We see sexual immorality. We see prideful speech when people are focused on earthly things. But he takes this more of a focus is here, is that I want you to put away these things. Why? So that you are united the way that God wanted you to be. So you are a harmonious congregation that gets along with one another in peace. When you have these kind of sins of the speech and prodfulness and sexual immorality, it tears congregations apart. It is destructive. And when we read these things, Paul is, wants us to examine ourselves. He wants to say, do these things describe me? But listen to this. He seems to come to a point right here, what his concern is. In Colossians 3, 9 through 11, here's God's answer to unholy living. living. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Your knowledge, your focus on Him changes you, knowing God. And then listen to what he says here. And I think this is very relevant, especially after what we've seen on the news yesterday. He says, here, here, there is not Greek and Jew. There are not different races. There's not circumcised and uncircumcised. There's not uh, barbarian and Scythian. There is not slave and free in the church. But Christ is all and in all. What's he saying? We're all made in his image. And in that knowledge, we are united as Christians and under the title of Christian. We don't identify ourselves as a black Christian and a white Christian, but that I'm a Christian. People use so many things to divide those in the faith today. It is this message, the gospel message, that has been the most uniting of humanity. No matter where you stood, whether you were a slave or a free person, whether you were a barbarian or whether you were a Greek and you were taught and educated, when you're a Christian, you're a Christian. You're united in Christ. And that's what matters. Over in Galatians, Paul emphasizes this as well. He says, neither male nor female. You all have the same inheritance in Christ. There's neither Greek nor Jew because you are to be united as Christians because you've all been baptized into Christ. There's a unity there. So how did Paul get to that? Why, why is he warning you? Don't focus on the earthly things. Here's the earthly things, the sins that break congregations apart. But you need to stop lying to one another. You need to put to death the old person. And then he comes to this. You recognize this in the church. There should be no divide over ethnicity because we're all one in Christ or where your social status is or how you perceive yourself spiritually. And we get to our main passage for the month here, the theme passage for this congregation. And this is what we've heard read already this morning twice. Read with me again. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You're God's chosen ones, God's elect. You are holy and beloved. You're to be sanctified and pure and set apart. That's what it means to be holy. You are beloved. God loves you. And what do you put on? What makes you separate what can end such divisions, social and racial divisions? He says this is being Christ and being identified as Christians. It takes compassionate hearts. It takes kindness. It takes humility, meekness, and patience. It takes bearing with one another. And sometimes we annoy one another or we offend one another. But as Christians, we learn to bear one another because our Holy Father bears with us in the foolish things that we do. 
And he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. That's the teaching of Christ. God's forgiven you. You have no right not to forgive another. And he says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Notice where his concern is here. What happened to this church? What, what is the concern with this new congregation? There's going to be division there. There's going to be sin. There's going to be people speaking and saying foolish things, hurtful things, prideful things. And he says this, above this, put on love. All the things, the compassionate heart, the kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, sum it up in the forgiveness right here in love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When a congregation is able to love one another unconditionally and compassionately, and he says right here, it overcomes those boundaries. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. You've been called as Christians. And he says for this, and be thankful. And you got this very unifying atlas he's going to bring up in verse 16. I think that really stands out about this passage. And this is what we see here about these virtues of the chosen, the beloved, and God's holy one. God commanded them to be holy and beloved, and if you're holy and beloved, you're going to have certain virtues about you. He lists them out. You're going to have a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, patience, and forgiveness, and all of this is summed up in love. And this is what binds congregations together, helps them to unite, to be able to unite when there appears to be divisions in society. And then we come to this. I think it's a very powerful passage right here, Colossians 3.16. He says, The Word of God must dwell within us. This is parallel to Ephesians 5.19, where Paul says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the same thing. They're meant to be the same. Those are parallel passages to be filled with God's Word and to have God's Word indwell within us. the same as the Spirit's indwelling. The Spirit indwells within us by the Word. And he's able to accomplish these things of unity. So what should Christians observe about the indwelling of God's Word? Listen to Colossians 3.16. He says, Let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. When it's dwelling within you, you're going to have harmony and peace. You're going to have love and forgiveness. You're going to be able to, to bring about unity in the church. And then he says, Teaching and admonishing one another and all wisdom. How do you do that? How do we teach and admonish one another and all wisdom? He says, Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, with grace in your hearts to God. Throughout the Scriptures, we see singing pictured as a unifying act, singing words, speaking together with one voice. Romans chapter 15 and verse 6 tells us that when we are, sing, we are to sing, we're to sing with one voice, to teach with one voice, to be united in that. I think some people come to these passages and they think, here it says, sing, therefore there should be no instruments or anything else added to it. And there's a point to that. But I think we really have a problem when we're reading sing and we don't do it. When we're reading sing and we're not speaking together and teaching one another. I don't know how your voice sounds, but I know that when I have brothers and sisters in Christ singing with me, I don't care about the sound of my voice. In fact, it sounds a lot better when I'm singing with others. And I believe that's God's plan in the harmony and unity and singing. And it is to come to a point where we have peace and compassion and the qualities here demonstrated in what we're singing about. That we together are all one voice proclaiming together, this is what it means to be a Christian. 
This is what it means to follow Christ, to look to things above. It's when we sing together and we teach one another and God's Word dwells within us. And we do it with grace in our hearts. One of the passages that stands out to me that's parallel to this is James 1, 19 and 22. And listen to what James says. Kind of another summary right here of what we've been reading. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Isn't that what we've been reading? Put away all these things. Put on what is right. Be clothed in this. How do you do it? With the word of God implanted within your heart, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Do it. Have it implanted in your heart. Ultimately, this is what we see as we finish this morning. The ultimate work in the course of history of what God has done for us is seen in Christ. Is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word that became flesh, God spoke into creation by his word. It is powerful and something we need to stand in awe of in such a way that when we hear God's word, I want to hear every bit of it, and I want it to be implanted within me to change me. That's the word that began all of creation as God spoke it into existence. I implore you this morning, be united, be a Christian, and allow God's word to change you and to be within your heart. So Christians, let God's word indwell within you. The indwelling word is what changes us, that makes us compassionate and kind and humble and patient and forgiving. If you've been raised with Christ, look to the things above. Why does Paul say that? Here's the gospel message, Colossians 2, 12 through 13. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This morning, you want all your sins washed away? Become a Christian. Be buried with Christ. Rise up in the newness of life. That's the powerful working of God through faith, and all your sins will be washed away. If you've been struggling with sin, things in your heart haven't been right, we want to pray with you. I encourage you right now. You need to obey the gospel. You need prayers. Please come while we stand and while we sing.